Well, good evening. I'm going to take the more informal route and do this more in Bible study format than than a preaching service. <clears throat> Those old people I took up the hill today about wore me out. But, uh, you know, it's getting bad when we're getting so old that even our new people can't even climb the mountain of, or the hill of Jerusalem. But, uh, we had a very, I thought, profitable trip up there and, and, uh, I think I was able to explain some things probably better than I have in the past. There's more that kind of comes out at it, more details that you pick up something that you missed before. Uh, probably not as good as Ross at it yet, but then there are some things we understand that he doesn't that I think I can in some ways make clear. But uh, all in all, I felt like we had a very good time and it was good for me to review all those things. Ironically, I... Uh, when I got back within good cell range, I, I had a message click in, and we were already up and about to come into Cedar City when I got the message, but uh, Tyler was up with the Tates and different ones today, and uh, was snowboarding. It was icy instead of snow, really, this time of year. It melts down and gets hard. Anyway, he fell and put his left hand back to catch himself and broke his wrist in two places. So... Uh, we stopped at the hospital in, in Cedar, and uh, they hadn't taken him in yet. And this had a big hooey in his arm. It, it wasn't straight by any means. It was pretty crooked. Broke both the bones. And, but they took him in and uh, uh, straightened it. And uh, he was coming out of the anesthesia. I wanted to stay there until I was sure that he was... Uh, out of it, and not out of it, but back into it, <laughs> and talking and, and doing okay before we left. But uh, they seemed to be able to get it straight. They said if they couldn't get it straight, they'd probably have to go in and operate. Uh, but they got it straight enough that they feel he's young enough at 15 that as he grows, the the one bone that didn't go quite into place, he said will calcify around it, and then it'll reconform itself to the right shape at that age. So, uh, seems to be okay. So, if they can keep it straight, uh, it'll heal okay. If not, uh, in a week or two, they might have, if it doesn't stay straight, within a couple of weeks, they might have to go in there and, and uh, operate. So, you might send up a word for Tyler. Uh, I'm sure he's, well, he's feeling better than he was. <laughs> when I first got there, he's in pretty bad pain. But after they straightened it and put it back in place, it eased that a, a lot. But, you know, he's a boy. It's just kind of part of growing up. You do these things. And some even old men don't even get over it. Still do stuff to themselves. So, uh, I don't know who that would be. Anyway, I think that's about it in the way of announcements. Uh, one o'clock service, I think we set tomorrow. I decided to put them all the afternoon at one instead of doing the weekly Sabbath at twelve like we usually do. And that's let some of you sleep in extra time who never get enough sleep, you know, and uh, need need some of that. So, 1 o'clock tomorrow. All right, let's go to Psalm 88. Uh, I think these seven days together give us a chance to motor on through here, so maybe we don't last a piece of tabernacles on this. <clears throat> I'd like to... Why? Well, I want to cover it adequately. I, I don't want to get bogged down to the point where here for years. <laughs> so, 
I'll take this opportunity to move on through some of these. It goes back to some of the plea again in Psalm 88. O Lord God of my salvation, I have cried day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry, for my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near unto the grave. Now, he keeps coming back to this theme, and I think that that is very fitting for the time that we're in, because since Herbert Armstrong died, things began to go awry almost immediately, and it's been a long quarter of a century uh, that we've been suffering from various degrees of dysfunction, and it's gotten worse and worse as time has gone on, and the splintering and everything continues, and we just get into deeper and deeper frustration over, we know it's God's truth, we know this was God's church, and yet the frustrations of dealing with it all have been very, very hard on people. So to see this recurrent theme come back, I I think is very fitting for us, And where he says here, my life draws near to the grave, uh, it reminds me of of, uh, Luke there where it says that this generation will not pass before these things come to pass. So the generation that God called into worldwide will not die out before these things happen. And there will still be old men, uh, as Haggai and, and a couple of other places seem to indicate, that will remain who will be able to compare the former with the latter temple, showing that they're both in the same time frame at the end, not Herod's or or Solomon's and the end time temple, the church, or even uh, in Christ's day, the early New Testament church. It has to be within the span of the life of an old man that could compare one to the other. So it's something that all has to happen here in a fairly compact period of time. And we are growing older and older as a generation of people that God called into the church. Uh, So this becomes more and more paramount as we go on. And it's brought up here, and I think in context very fittingly, because we are all growing older. Uh, I mean, yeah, there are some younger people, but for the most part, the vast majority of the church was called in the 50s, 60s, and early 70s of people who were already uh, adult at that time, and they've done nothing but go further downhill since, uh, which is where we find ourselves. Uh, I am counted with them that go down into the pit or the grave. I am as a man that has no strength. I I watched us labor up the hills today, and it's, it's like there's not much strength there. Uh, I didn't. I didn't see many jackrabbits running up the hill. It was people kind of creeping from rock to rock and trying to get up there. So very fitting. Uh, free among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, and they are cut off from your hands. So as we see age coming on the church, these are very fitting words. You've laid me in the lowest pit in the darkness of the deeps. Your wrath lies hard upon me, and you've afflicted me with all your waves. Uh, Another thing to think about. So, it isn't just age that's catching up. It's also the anger and the wrath of God because of the condition that we have been in spiritually. So, it's, it's both a combination of the two here that he's talking about. That's exactly what we're facing. 
You have put away my acquaintances far from me. You have made me an abomination to them. I am shut up and I cannot come forth. So our acquaintances from the past, even our relatives, basically have turned away from us. Uh, They think what we believe is crazy. And even people within the church who hear what we believe about Passover and the calendar and about Zion and Jerusalem and on and on think we're nuts. So, we're shut up. We can't say much. We can't come forth with everything. Uh, First of all, we can't prove things to the degree that's necessary uh, to show it to the church as a whole or to the world as a whole yet. These things will eventually show the whole world that God is God. But right now we're kind of shut up. And and even in Zechariah 5 there, where it talks about the uh, the two unclean birds that took the church out and set her on her base in Babylon, I certainly think that the two tekachas are the unclean birds mentioned there. And it talks about a, a lead weight being put into the weight into the basket or the mouth of the basket and shuts it up. The church can't say much, and, and that's echoed right here. My eye mourns by reason of affliction. Lord, I have called daily upon you. I've stretched out my hands to you. Uh, it's, it's still in frustration here. It says, I've been praying daily. I've been putting this before you every day, and yet things still go on the way they have. Well, this is exactly where we find ourselves. Will you show wonders to the dead? Shall the dead arise and praise you? (laughs) Here we are, getting older. Uh, We want to praise you. We want to see your wonders. But if we all die off, what good is it going to be? It's, you know, it's too late for us. But he says that won't happen. But it might feel like it to some of us. Shall your loving kindness be declared in the grave? Are you... Are you going to bless me and be nice to me once I'm dead and buried? That doesn't do any good. Or your faithfulness and destruction? So it's kind of questioning God. You know, you made these promises. Are we going to die out before they happen? That's the question on the table. Shall your wonders be known in the dark, pretty dark in a grave, And your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness, where the mind is gone, the dead know nothing, as Ecclesiastes says. But unto you have I cried. Now, this is maybe the way I feel. These may be the questions and the emotions I go through, okay? But unto you have I cried, O Lord, and in the morning shall my prayer precede you. Do I get up, and before you're ready to hear it, (laughs) does, does my prayer go up? Because... This is something that is very heavy on my mind. I pray night and day. Lord, why cast you off my soul? Why do you hide your face from me? That's a repeat of the scripture we've read many times in Isaiah and through the prophecies about how he turns his face from us. I am afflicted and ready to die from my youth up. While I suffer your terrors, I am distracted. That one right there has... To me, a lot of meaning, because from the time I was eight years old, I began hearing these things. And we talked about them all the time. And now I'm old and gray, and they still haven't come to pass. And I I see quite a few around who have had that same experience. Grew up in the church, now we're old. Your fierce wrath goes over me. 
Your terrors have cut me off. So we find ourselves in this state of affliction and trial, trouble, and tribulation. They came round about me daily like water. They compassed me about together. So these are things that are hard to get off our mind. We're, we're trying to function. We're trying to make a living. We're trying to get by. We're trying to be what we ought to be. And yet it seems like it just goes on and on. So it gets tiresome. It gets wearisome. We have to deal with these emotions. That's why... Like today, going up and looking at Jerusalem site and the petroglyphs and the carved figure in the canyon and everything, it just renews and revitalizes my resolve and my commitment and my knowledge that this has to be true. There's just too much there that cannot be coincidence. So in spite of the floodwaters that might swirl about around us and try to take us down, we know the truth. Lover and friend have you put far from me and my acquaintance into darkness. It's like we're kind of alone in this thing. We, we alone, frustrated, lonely. Uh, our acquaintances, relatives of the past, he's repeating the thought, have disallowed us, cast us away. We have not much to do with them. Then in chapter 89 changes the thought. Uh, 88 is a plea, a frustration. 87 was uh, an encouragement about Zion and the foundations thereof and how uh, we'd come to the point eventually when these things happen that, oh yeah, I was born there. My child was born there. This was an important place. Then he goes through the frustration that it is not here yet. We come back to the reality of today, if you will. Then in 89, it changes back again. So we kind of blow hot and cold. Our emotions go up and down. This is a difficult merry-go-round. Not a merry-go-round. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, roller coaster. Uh, that's the one. 89, I will sing of the mercies of the eternal forever. So I, I know in the long run, in spite of the frustrations, God will show mercy and it's not going to be our great spiritual standing, but His mercy, in spite of ourselves, ultimately. With my mouth will I make known your faithfulness to all generations. Now, we can go back through, and we can review through the Bible from Genesis on, the trouble man got in from Adam and Eve, uh, on through to the flood and how God showed mercy on Noah and the family and preserved the human life. And uh, then the power of Abel, he confused them. Then he calls Abraham. So it, it's, it's a roller coaster throughout man's history, not just in our lives today, but how God has shown mercy. They went into his, uh, Egypt, forgot him, went into slavery. Then he showed mercy and delivered them. This was repeated over and over and over throughout the history of mankind and more particularly of Israel, and then the church. Early New Testament church fell away. Uh, the church almost disappeared, barely traceable through the Middle Ages, and then reappears here at the end, and God shows mercy, brings Israel back to the Promised Land, starts His church here afterward, and now we have again as a nation forgotten God, and as a church took Him for granted, and here we are going down again, but we have all these prophecies that we have studied in the last few years that show His mercy will come back.
and He will forgive us and turn His face back to us. So, we'll sing of His faithfulness to all generations. We have not only the experience of the past, but now even our own experience is going to become very real to us. We've seen the downside of all this, and now very soon we're going to see the upside of all this and how God's mercy reacts upon us and how He tells us in Jeremiah, you'll forget the Red Sea. You'll forget all these things because the deliverance here at the end is going to be so much greater. It will put that into forgetfulness. It'll pale beside it. And it'll be fresh to us, whereas the Red Sea and all that is way, way back in long gone history to us. But this will be so very real when it comes to pass. For I have said, mercy shall be built up forever. Your faithfulness shall you establish in the very heavens. And His faithfulness has been established in the heavens. We can follow His calendar up there, month by month, year in and year out, and it doesn't change. It's always there, always faithful, always have the new moon, always comes in the right season. So it's established right there. And he said, this will remain as long as heavens and earth remain. And it has. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to David, my servant. Now he did to the original David. He told him that his seed would not die out, that he would carry through the line of Abraham. But we find in Ezekiel 34 and other places that here at the end, he is going to reestablish that kind of leadership that David gave. So... Uh, it, it's an end-time fulfillment. Of course, the original David is going to be over all Israel in the millennium, but we have to have a revival uh, with that kind of leadership today after the ministry has been, all of us, such a disappointment to God and man. And we all have our war stories of abuse and misuse and, and uh, little Rod Fauntleroy's and Hitler's and Mussolini's in the church. And God said, no more of that. We're going to restore a kinder, gentler, more loving, less oppressive type of leadership. Um, oh, to David, my servant, verse 4, Your seed will I establish forever and build up your throne to all generations. And he's told him he will be the king in the world tomorrow of all Israel. And yet he has not yet ascended to heaven, as Acts very clearly shows. He's still in the grave awaiting the general resurrection. But we still need to have the same type of leadership that he gave. And I hope that we are all working toward being that way. Uh, yes, there still has to be law and order, but we need to be merciful and kind and not run people's lives for them but teach them the way to go and help them along, but they have to do it themselves. You don't go in and open their cabinets and see what all they got in there like some of the ministers used to do, and we could go on and you've all got stories. I know you do. So we'll stop with that and we'll move on and hopefully do it better. Uh, verse 5, And the heavens shall praise your wonders, O Eternal, your faithfulness also in the congregation of the saints. So as faithfulness is shown in the very creation of the heavens and earth, 
And we also have a chance to personally attest to His faithfulness as human beings and what He does in our lives, has done and will be done in a much more powerful and dramatic way in the future. We'll be able to testify to that, to the world, and to those who live into the millennium when we're there as kings and priests. We'll be able to say, I experienced those end-time things. I went through and saw the glory of God and the blessings that returned. And we can teach those people who come through from personal experience. Abraham will be there to teach his experience as, as a major leader in some of those in Hebrews 11. But we also, as the bride and kings and priests, will at that point have in our memory bank direct knowledge of the things God did to save and bless His church and here in the end time. The abomination set up and they flee to Zion and He protects them and all the things that we've read about are going to happen and we can attest. We don't just quote somebody from the past, but I can say, been there, done that. Then when they come up in the great white throne judgment, we can do the same. Not only did we do it then, but we also saw where it says the millennium will be set up in a thousand years of peace and Satan bound. Been there, done that too. So now it's time for you to listen to me as your teacher, and we're going to straighten you out and figure out how to live so you can be happy in this life where you weren't in the last round. Well, we're, we're going to pick up a lot of personal experience here in the next few years. It's going to stand us in good stead. It'll make better teachers out of us. So the congregation of the saints will be able to proclaim God's wonders and faithfulness. For who in the heaven can be compared to the eternal? Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened to the eternal? Human beings, I don't care how great, how handsome, how strong, how smart, how what, yeah, it doesn't even begin to compare. God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints, and to be had in reverence of all them that are about him. See how the attitude is corrected here? I, I think God put these together. These probably were written at a different time. But he caused them to be put together in this way that we get to think about the frustrations we go through. And yet we see that through that frustration, we can look to God. And as we look to him, we feel encouraged and strengthened to go on in spite of the hardships that we face. And as long as we fear Him and reverence Him in the assembly of the saints, I would be who? Can't be anybody but the church. O Lord God of hosts, who is a strong Lord like you? Or to your faithfulness round about you. So it's talking about God's faithfulness, and He's looking for faith in us. Without faith, again, it's impossible to please Him, and the just will walk by faith. And they will recognize his faithfulness and then follow along faithfully themselves, giving him reverence, praise, honor, and glory. O Lord God of hosts, who is a strong Lord like you, or to your faithfulness round about you? You rule the raging of the sea. When the waves thereof arise, you still them. They can come, I've seen waves a hundred feet high in the Gulf of Alaska. But when they hit that beach, 
They only go so far, and they stop. And they pull back, and the next one comes in. Uh, in the winter up there, they do get 90 and 100 feet high. It's incredible. But they can't break through where God set their bounds, powerful as they are. You have broken Rahab in pieces as one that is slain. Uh, the word there is Mitzrium. Uh, he broke Pharaoh and his armies and destroyed that empire with all those plagues, uh, destroyed their animals, destroyed their crops, destroyed their firstborn, and then destroyed the army and Pharaoh himself. You broke them in pieces as one that is slain. You have scattered your enemies with your strong arms. So he hearkens back to what God has done in the past, but we know what he is, from other scriptures, going to do in the future as well, which will eclipse this. The heavens are yours, the earth also is yours. As for the world and the fullness thereof, you have founded them. How do you, when you get discouraged or frustrated, renew your strength, in your positive attitude, like Romans 20. You go to the creation that God has made, and he says, you see him through the things that he has made. When I feel a little that way, I go find myself a pine tree, I find myself a creek or a lake or a mountain to look at, and I look at what God has done, and I think, you know, if you could make this, you must be all right. Anybody that could do this, any being that could make these things, has to be all right. And sometimes to me, I don't know how you've thought about it, but once in a while I get thinking, I'm an outdoorsy type. I, I like the mountains. I like the trees. I like the wild animals. I, I, I would have been 150 years ago a mountain man living in a cabin on a lake. I would have been me. And I've done it some in this life the best I could and still be a professional in the ministry. I've moved into those kind of areas. And I get thinking, what if it's like an office in a city in God's kingdom? I'd be ready to blow the walls out. I couldn't handle that. And then I go out to the temple of the mountains, <laughs> the creation of God, and I look at it and I think, now the New Jerusalem even though it talks about many mansions and offices and so on, it's not going to be like a city in America. God hates cities like we have. He says, Woe to them, in Isaiah, that build house to house and field to field so that the man has no room. And God tells us what? Get out of the city, go into the wilderness. Ah, oh, thank you, Lord. Because he hates man's cities. He destroyed the one Nimrod built, and that's not his way. He wants people to have their own vine and fig tree and to be able to be self-sustaining. So when I think about that, I think, well, maybe I want to be in the kingdom of God after all. I'm not going to have to sit in an office. Uh, the one who made the world and all the beautiful stuff in it that I enjoy, the beach, the mountains, you know, uh, coral pink sands, on the beach with coral in the water, not just piles up here. But the beautiful things God has made, I love. Whether it's sand or mountain or whatever, I just like to be out in God's creation. And then I feel inspired and, and uh, picked up by the beauty that He's made. Um, 
where was I up here? I wasn't in, I wasn't in 90 yet. Oh, I just turned the page. We're still in 89. Uh, yeah, we were down about 11, I guess, where it says, The heavens are yours, the earth is yours. He's the one that created these things. And they are encouraging to see. Again, as Romans 1.20 says, As for the world and the fullness thereof, you have founded them. You're the creator of all this beauty around us. The blue sky, the stars, the sun, the moon, on and on. The north and the south, you have created them. Uh, he did the little penguins, and he did the polar bears, and he did all the beautiful things that you find even up north. To me, some of the most inspiring scenery on earth is Norway, Alaska, the, the, the northern areas with the fjords and the snow-covered mountains. Just wonderful, as long as you got a good coat. Tabor and Hermon shall rejoice in your name. Some of the beautiful mountains that he's created out here. Uh, I, I think I know about where Mount Hermon might be. It's, it's a beautiful snow-capped peak over here in, on Cedar Mountain. It's not that little old, almost barren hill over in the Middle East. What, where is that scripture that says Hermon and, and, and Zion? Hermon and what together? Charles, you ought to remember that. That's uh, Gordon. Which two mountains? that he referred to the same? Hermon and... It wasn't Zion, was it? Might have been Zion. It's in the Psalms. If we hadn't gotten there, we will. But over there, Mount Hermon and the one that they mentioned in the Scripture are 100 miles apart. And he puts them right together in Scripture. And the Mount Hermon here, if I've got the right one picked out, oh, no comparison. I drove up on Mount Hermon over there in just a bunch of bushes and rocks. Nothing pretty about it. Well, by comparison, anyway. Still better than New York City, but it has its limits. Okay. Tabor and Hormon shall rejoice in your name. You have a mighty arm. Strong is your hand, and high is your right hand. Uh, justice and judgment are the habitation of your throne. Mercy and truth shall go before your face. So... Uh, very encouraging in the light of the troubles that we have for the near future. Blessed is the people that know the joyful sound. They shall walk, O Eternal, in the light of your countenance. Doesn't he tell us that we're going to sing a song that no one else can sing in Revelation 2 and 3? Uh, no one else is going to know this song. Was that quoted from right here? <coughs> No one else will know the joyful sound. And we're going to walk in the countenance of the Father and the Son in the New Jerusalem, right within, we'll be right with them. In your name shall they rejoice all the day, in your righteousness shall they be exalted. We're not exalted yet, are we? When will we be exalted? First resurrection, when we're glorified, rise to meet Christ in the air. For you are the glory of their strength. And in your favor, our horn shall be exalted. It isn't our strength that's going to exalt us. What are we? We can just barely put one down and pick up the other one. We stumble through life trying to be like God and falling so woefully short. There's no comparison. Uh, it's going to be by the horn of His strength that we're lifted up, even the church here in the end time. How will we save ourselves from this holocaust that's coming on the world? We can't. 
It's going to be his horn of strength and his arm that takes us out, sets us up, and makes us safe. For the Lord is our defense. What does he tell us directly when he's talking about the two witnesses in the remnant church? I'll be a wall of fire around you and a defense. Isaiah 4 says about the same thing. Uh, he's our defense, and the Holy One of Israel is our King. Then you spoke in vision to your Holy One and said, I have laid help upon one that is mighty. I have exalted one chosen out of the people. So he spoke to David and said, you know, you were just a little guy that nobody even remembered out there herding the sheep, and I've exalted you, and I've put you in as king, and eventually I'm going to make you king of all Israel. So, here in the end time, he's not going to raise up um, the mighty and the noble. Who do he say he's going to call? The weak and the base. He's not going to call anybody that anyone would recognize as being important. Even Jesse himself didn't think of David. Well, here's all my older, young, older, taller, more handsome sons. And Eli said, or Samuel said, don't you have any more? Well, there's a little David out there, but, well, bring him. That's the one I want to see. See? We think we don't amount to much. Look at David's story. Nobody even cared. Even his own daddy. Eh, forget David. God said, I've exalted one. Chosen out of the people. Not anybody that the people chose, like Saul. Tall, dark, and handsome, I guess, but, nah, I don't want him wasn't what God was after. I have found David my servant. With my holy oil have I anointed him, with whom my hand shall be established. And didn't Israel really get established under David and then the temple and everything built under Solomon? Well, Israel really flourished as a kingdom once David was on the scene. Saul didn't do anything of any great value, but David did and Solomon did. Now, in this end time, the church hasn't really done much, and I would say today, it really isn't doing much. But God is going to bring leadership to pass, and He is going to raise it up to do mighty and wondrous things. That is ahead of us. Uh, my arm also shall strengthen him. Doesn't he tell us, be strong, be of good courage? Um, and work. And there's one other thing I'm leaving out. It didn't, didn't come to mind. Fear not. Fear not. Those are the four things he repeats to us several times. Because he's our strength. Um, the enemy shall not exact upon him, nor the son of wickedness afflict him. And even in David's own life, he had... Enemies in his own family, and some of his sons tried to kill him, uh, took his wives and various things, but it never happened, did it? With all the wars that David went through and all the conspiracies against him, he died a natural death in bed at age 70. Nor the son of wickedness afflict him. By, by uh, time and chance, and circumstance and the kind of life David lived, he should have been dead long before that. But he wasn't. 
And I will beat down his foes before his face and plague them that hate him. But my faithfulness and my mercy shall be with him, and in my name shall his horn be exalted. I will set his right hand also in the sea, and his right hand in the rivers. Did not David's fleets and Solomon's fleets go round the world as worldwide international traders? Yes, they did. He shall cry to me, You are my Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. So God imparts the strength, the power, the opportunity, and then in return, we have to return to God this reverence to look to Him as our Father, our God, and our rock. God is my rock, my salvation, my hope. We sing it, don't we? And I will make Him my firstborn, higher than the kings of the earth. Christ is the firstborn, but when he exalts someone in a generation, he puts them on the level of the firstborn. Remember, he changed it to Ephraim there in, in Jeremiah 31 and said, Ephraim is my firstborn, supplanting Reuben. And here he calls David a firstborn. Of the kings of Israel, he's putting them up above all the rest because he was head and shoulders, short as he was, above all the others. And he is going to be the highest of all the kings of the earth. My mercy will I keep for him forevermore, and my covenant shall stand fast with him. So the promises he made to David uh, will be kept, and he will ascend. And not only that, but his people, of his generations, have come on down, and we are part of the seed of David today. Well, certainly, if we're not physical Jews, we might be of some other tribe or even of a Gentile race. And it doesn't matter because we're all spiritual Jews. And Christ came through the line of Judah, which came from David on down. So all of us are kin to David. And even if we are of, in some cases, Gentile extraction, we're still of the seed of David, even physically. Because David married Bathsheba, who was probably black, and some of his other wives may have been for that matter, and Solomon had every kind and color. Uh, and in the line of David, there are people in the middle of Africa who can trace their DNA back to David. So they have assumed that they are the Israelites as opposed to the Anglo-Saxons. It's not that they are Israel per se, but they are kin to Israel. They are part of the blood of David and Solomon. And now we know, do we not, that there was a great deal of intermarriage between Shem and Ham in, in the days of Abraham and of Moses and, and all those generations. Ham was here when Abraham got here. And uh, there was a great deal of that. So we're not all black. We're not all white. We're a mixture of many things, and the brown races of the Indians are mixtures of Shem and Ham, I think, primarily. And there, are, there is some DNA of the Oriental races who came over as well. So, uh, we have mixed Shem and Ham that inhabited this land when 
the Anglo-Saxons got here. Anglo-Saxons were here ahead of the Mexicans and Indians. They just don't know it. They think they were here when white men came. No, Ham was here first after the flood, and then Abraham came later. And when Israel was taken captive by boat back to Africa and Europe, then the mixed-blood Israelites stayed behind. That would be the Indians. So we tend to look, Anglo-Saxons look at the Indians as Gentiles. No, they're mixed-blood. They have a very strong base of Israel in them. So, David's seed has not died out, whether it be black, white, or whatever color, brown. We're still part Jew, and we're all spiritual Jew. All the way back to David and Solomon. So, this prophecy is uh, very much alive. Now I've lost where I was again. Good, okay. His seed also will I make to endure forever in his throne as the days of heaven. That's what sent me into that. If his children forsake my law and walk not in my judgments, if they break my statutes and keep not my commandments, so he says, I've made this promise to you, it's going to happen, just like he made to Abraham. Your seed will endure forever, and they'll walk this promised land where we walk. Uh, but if they break my laws... Then will I visit their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. Hebrews 12, he chastens every son whom he loves. And we're going through it now, are we not? Nevertheless, my loving kindness will not I not utterly take from him, nor suffer my faithfulness to fail. I circled that one and underlined it. Uh, that's a beautiful verse. In spite of everything, he made these promises to our ancestors. And over and over again throughout history, there have been Israelites departing from God and returning in another generation and so on. And even here in the end, we've done the same. And God's faithfulness is always there, and he will keep those promises to our forebears. And he will not utterly take it away. He will not from the church. We've seen it coming apart more and more and more, but we're going to see it, a remnant of it at least, start coming back together, probably fairly suddenly. My covenant will I not break, nor alter the thing that has gone out of my lips. A promise from God's as good as God. We say good as gold, but this is one up on that. Good as God. His seed shall endure forever, and his throne is the sun before me. It shall be established forever as the moon, and as a faithful witness in heaven. Think about that. This was written thousands of years ago. We still have the faithful witness of the sun and moon uh, still going in their orbits. But you have cast off and abhorred. You have been angry with your anointed. You have made void the covenant of your servant. You have profaned his crown by casting it to the ground. Well, even when Israel broke the marriage covenant with Christ, he didn't cut them off utterly. He divorced them. But then further down the line, he worked with the same people and began the new covenant. So he didn't cast off forever. He said, yeah, I've divorced you, 
And the law says, I shouldn't take you back, but I'm going to anyway. That's where Jeremiah. These things run together in my mind. I don't always remember. I know it's there. Um, Verse 40, you've broken down all his hedges. You have brought his strongholds to ruin. He says in Isaiah 5 there, he'll break down our homes and the hedge that he's had about us. He'll break it down so our enemies can take us. And we'll lose all our houses. All that pass by the way spoil him. He is a reproach to his neighbors. My voice is about to wear out. I've talked all day today. So you're going to give a reprieve here in a little bit. <clears throat> We're a reproach to all our neighbors around the world, aren't we? You have set up the right hand of his adversaries. You have made all his enemies to rejoice. You have also turned the edge of his sword and has not made him to stand in the battle. America always comes through. You know, there's always an American hero. Every movie looks pretty grim, but we win in the end, don't we? Well, so far that's essentially been true. Not going to be true this round. Our military will not help us. You have made his glory to cease and has cast his throne down to the ground. Our leadership, our government, is headed for the bottom. The days of his youth have you shortened. We're a young country compared to Europe. They've got houses over there that are over a thousand years old. They've got governments that have been around for a long time. So America really is a pretty young empire. But we've about run our course. You have covered him with shame. And we are becoming very quickly ashamed. Trillions of dollars in debt, hated pretty much around the world. It's pretty shameful that such beauty and abundance and natural resources and people that were somewhat of God at least and had the Bible and all have gotten so far down the road that it's absolutely shameful. Here we have this same expression. How long, O Lord? How many times have we found that? Will you hide yourself forever? Shall your wrath burn like fire? Even the church was cut off pretty much in its youth, wasn't it? Hadn't been around very long in the end time. From 1933 until about 1986 and gone. Cut off in its youth. How long? Verse 47, remember how short my time is. That's kind of the thought we started out with tonight. I'm getting old, I'm getting gray, I'm about to go to the grave, uh, about had it. Uh, How long is this going to last? Remember, you're getting old here, Lord. (laughs) We're about to start dying off. Remember us? Wherefore, have you made all men in vain? Are all these promises for nothing? Coming back to the same line of thought. Don't we kind of go up and down in our thoughts? Yes, we do. The roller coaster is running well. What man is he that lives and shall not see death? You know, we're all going to die. It's appointed to all men once to die, and we're getting older as a church. This is so much written for us, it's almost unbelievable. I never thought about this years ago. Read the Psalms for a little bit of encouragement or whatever. And some of these you thought, well, that ain't very encouraging. 
Uh, why read that? Now I see the whole prophetic flow and everything that's happening in the church is in here just like it is everywhere else, so very clearly. Things that are being expressed here are some of our very own thoughts, feelings, emotions, and prayers. Even though you might not have read them, you've been thinking some of these same things, haven't you? We have. Same emotions. Have you made us all in vain? What man is he that lives and will not see death? Shall he deliver his soul from the hand of the grave? That's something to think about. Lord, where are your former loving kindnesses, which you swore to David in your truth? You said you wouldn't forget us. You said you wouldn't leave us. You told David that, and here we are about to perish. Where are those promises? Don't you feel that way? I've been preaching this now till I'm blue in the face nearly. Sixteen years we've been going out with this method. I've cried, wolf, wolf, wolf. You begin to say, yeah, I've heard that before. Yeah, you have. If you stick around, you'll probably hear it some more if I live to do it. Because it will be this way until God remembers the loving kindnesses of David and turns it around and blesses us. But we... Get weary. Where is this? Verse 50, uh, Remember, Lord, the reproach of your servants. How I debar in my bosom the reproach of all the mighty people. We aren't anything. We don't amount to anything. And we're looked down upon by anybody that finds out about us. And we're certainly not the mighty in the world. And the mighty are going to start their new world order, and we will rise above them. We will have to run and hide for a while, and then God will begin to give power, and even fire will devour them if they try to come against God's people. And then, of course, the seven last plagues and everything else, which is by far greater, and they will be put down. No longer reproach. Then the resurrection will occur, and we will be the kings and priests and rulers of the earth, and they will come and bow before our feet. Wherewith your enemies have reproached, O Lord, wherewith they have reproached the footsteps of your anointed. Blessed be the eternal forevermore. Amen and amen. The answers for what we are suffering are on their way. Well, we've been about an hour, and that's all I wanted to do tonight anyway. So let's stop there at 90. That's the break. We're going into chapter or the section four uh, in chapter 90. So that finishes section three.